Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Hello, I'm Dr. David DeRose, welcoming you to today's edition of the broadcast. With me today is an amazing guest. He's trying to help us focus on really something that's life-changing, especially for those of you that are young adults or for those of you that are tribal elders. You have children or grandchildren who are of college age. Paul Lehman is my guest. Paul, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Paul, you have been an educator for many years. For those who don't know you, please tell us a little bit about your background. I have been an educator. I have worked at what is now Berman University, used to be Canadian University College, Canadian Union College, and worked there for 43 years, teaching in physical education, health, and outdoor education. So physical education, health, and outdoor education, I mean, these are... I will say some things that seem in many places today to be pushed to the wayside in a lot of settings. I don't know. Is that just my perception or are you seeing that as well? That is probably clearly a thing in my life that I had to always try to bring this to the forefront. And uh, it was always the students that uh, helped make this happen because they were excited about it. And so they helped plow that furrow. You know, generalizations are never really fitting, but I know as I work with people throughout Indian country, I often hear about students who especially connect when things are hands-on, when they're, they're actively involved in things, outdoor education. I mean, some of these things that connect them with the world around them that was part and parcel, many of them growing up on a reserve or on a reservation, maybe even in an urban area, but just connecting with their First Nation roots. I know, Paul, in your area there and even your background, you've had quite a bit of uh, connection with First Nation peoples. Maybe you could just share a little bit about your background in that regard. I've had Native students in class. I went to school with Natives. Um, I played hockey with Natives. This was always a lot of fun. We also have set up uh, challenge courses for Native individuals. Uh, It is always a delight to work with them just because of the fact that they are so incredibly energized physically and so capable physically. And one of those that we did set up one time was we had told the students, and and this was a Native community actually working with leaders at Holbrook. We said, we're going to set up this challenge course. We're going to probably close it down at about 8 at night. We did not leave that night till 11 and then had to start it very early the next day because this was something that they really put their teeth into to try to see if they could actually get better at this. And it isn't only the natives, it's everybody. It's like, hey, I think I can do this. I, th- I think I can do this. I think this is a challenge that I can live with. So explain to us, for those like me who, well, challenge course, I mean, I think it sounds obvious, but what would a typical challenge course look like? We did challenge courses, what we would call challenge course in a bag. And so we would take cables and climbing ropes and especially rescue ropes. Uh, and we would set them up between trees in, in a building, in a park. Uh, 
it would be a low ropes course type of thing. And these things would be, for instance, um, one of them might be just two parallel ropes that you got to get across. But there was one that we had that was really uh, and has been inspirational to any age of child that we've done this because we've worked within groups in um, within inner cities, Toronto, St. Louis, Dallas, Texas. We did this also at Holbrook. It's called the Pizza Run. So we'd have a cable across and there was a, another rope that was attached only at one end. And the promise was that if you would get across this, I promised to buy you a pizza. Now, that may not be the most healthy thing in the world, but it is certainly a challenge that everybody took. And I have bought my share of pizzas because some of these individuals were just amazing. It took them five or six runs, and then all of a sudden they were, yes, I'm across this thing. And so these challenge things have brought in individuals, young people that like to be challenged physically, but they also see kind of a goal. And I can do this better than the other guy, but the competition is not a mean competition or a rivalry, but it's a competition against this element. And that's what we tried to encourage. This is uh, really exciting. And I know you haven't just been going throughout the country or both countries, Canada, where you're based and uh, the United States, but you've also been working with student leaders on a number of college, university campuses with a group called CABLE, uh, C-A-B-L, it's an acronym. Can you tell us what that stands for and what CABLE is all about? Yes, CABLE is, uh, is a, it actually started by students on a university campus. It's Collegiate Advocates for Better Living. So their modus operandi is if we can involve the campus students, faculty, and even do it as an outreach to the community, do something in the area of health, uh, physical, mental, social, emotional health, that we can set up a program and also educate the people so that we can get them involved in, in a better, healthy lifestyle. And some of this starts very simple. Uh, some of this starts with just drinking more water. Simple thing, it seems like, if water is available. But it can get very involved where we've done fitness testing, we've gone to churches, we've gone to communities, we've gone to Yellowknife uh, way up in northern Canada to, to do fitness testing with groups that are from cable, from the Collegiate Advocates for Better Living, and campuses have a variety of these things that they do. Now, Paul, when people hear about better living, when they hear about health, they think, okay, well, that's the physical realm. But you've been an educator for, like you said, over four decades. And a lot of people might ask the question, well, how does this fit in with the whole academic realm? How does this, well, let's put it this way. How does this investment in physical health, how does it pay dividends as far as the other goals that students might have when they're trying to get an education? I think the thing that, that has been inspiring to us is... Um that when students get involved with this, either from a leadership standpoint or from a participant standpoint, they suddenly realize that there is uh, a, maybe a, a better way to live. So they end up go, maybe going to bed earlier and therefore their intellectual capacity for exams and stuff like this are improved significantly. We, we've had students that have called us on a regular basis and said, 
listen, I, I'm having trouble studying or I'm doing this. So would you like to get involved with Collegiate Advocates for Better Living or would you like to do something that would do this better? And and one of them is a student that literally, I think she must be drinking about 10 cups of coffee a day. Mm. And she just texted me not long ago. She says, I, I just quit drinking coffee. She says, I, it has made such a difference in my life. And so these are the kind of the outreach things that you're doing on a daily basis to try to help them. It's exciting to hear what you're talking about, because I know uh, having taught on college campuses myself, nowhere near for 40 years, but I had the privilege of working with students. And it's sometimes amazing, you know, all the pressures that students are dealing with. You know, they, they may be away from home for the first time. I know we've featured programming on American Indian and Alaska Native Living, targeting Native youth especially. And we've had Native youth tell us how when they ended up on a college campus, especially a secular campus, I mean, maybe they felt like they're the only Native person there. It may not have been the case, but they didn't have those tribal connections, those family connections. And just some of the challenges of getting integrated. Do you find that that's also a benefit of folks who connect with the Collegiate Advocates for Better Living? The interaction that they have among themselves with this uh, has really been amazing, especially in the last few years, because I've, I've watched this now on campuses with the leaders and the number of students that are coming to them to say, what can I do to maybe improve my health or sleep better? Even if it's just the leader, the, the student leader saying, hey, I can connect you with a counselor. I can connect you with a health educator. Why don't you try this? Because I did this. I changed my diet. I, I did this uh, to, to help them get through this very stressful part. E- even just the simple things like increase my vitamin D uh, in our northern community here, that's kind of a critical point. Or drinking more water. Or how about Maybe you should go to sleep earlier at night and read something positive. Stay away from the screen. No, these are practical messages. You know, and you, and you mentioned vitamin D. Vitamin D has gotten a lot of attention lately. I still find that many people, as I still do a bit of clinical medicine, a lot of folks still don't have vitamin D on their radar screen. We'll check a level. It'll be extremely low. I think I just saw some of the level. I mean, the units we use in the United States, we like to see it. Uh, at least well in the 30s or higher. This person was, I think, eight or nine. And it's like, well, why haven't folks heard about this? You're in a part of the uh, part of North America that actually doesn't get, well, what we would say effective sunlight in the probably for what, five or six months of the year. You really can't make significant vitamin D up there. So what are you recommending when you talk with students about vitamin D? Well, this is interesting. Uh, in Canada, I, there was a point probably about 10, 12 years ago that you could ask a, a physician to to get your vitamin D checked. But in Canada now, at least in Alberta, and I think it's across Canada, they will not even check your vitamin D. They just automatically tell you that the minimum is a thousand units if you are north of the U.S. border. And so that is what we've been telling students, at least get a 1,000 international units a day because they are not going to check it in Canada. And that level clearly is not going to have any toxicity. Um, you can probably go up to 4,000, 5,000 uh, in where we live in Canada. So we have 
for instance, on this campus, I think we bought about 40 bottles one day. And then we went back to Costco and said, we want another 80. And they said, I don't know if we can sell you 80 bottles because I don't know if it's legal. They said, yeah, we can. And so we distribute these to the students and tell them, take this. Because they had never in their life taken vitamin D other than a multivitamin, maybe occasionally, or said, well, I'm getting it through my milk. And some of them are vegan, so they don't maybe get it through a supplement in the milk. So it has really been good to see this distributed and being used. Now, this is really exciting. And for those of you tuning in today, if you haven't heard a lot that's out there about vitamin D, it's been linked to everything from lowering your risk of cancer to improving your immune system, some strong connections with vitamin D and preventing severity of COVID-19 infection. I'm really excited about what you've been doing, Paul, really not only advocating for it, but actually putting the supplements in people's hands. And I'm totally with you as a physician. We find that we can have people uh, typically taking, like you said, anywhere between 1,000 to 5,000 international units a day and uh, absolutely no evidence in the literature of any toxicity with that. I wouldn't go higher than the 5,000 a day. Theoretically, there's there's some concern, at least in the literature, seems like that biggest concern is when you're at 10,000 international units a day or more. But there's a big margin of safety. And although that sounds like huge amounts, someone says, what, 5,000 international units? These are really microgram amounts. They're very small amounts that we're talking about. So this is just really exciting to hear how you're uh, helping these students in some very practical ways. We are going to have to step away here just briefly uh, for a break. But before we do, Paul, if uh, some are wanting to get a hold of the Collegiate Advocates for Better Living, is there a website? Is there some kind of point of reference for them? Just email me at plehman, P-L-E-H-M-A-N-N, at BermanU, B-U-R-M-A-N-U. That stands for BermanUniversity.ca because it's Canadian. So P. Lehman at Berman U. And then I can give you the link. It's just easier to give you that link. And I do answer my emails, just so you know. Okay. Well, very good. So let me make sure I got this email right. I've got P as in Paul, Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N-N. Yes. At Berman, B-U-R-M-A-N-U dot C-A. That's correct. Okay. We're going to be back with more from Paul Lehman. We're going to be talking about some very practical things. Things that you could do to improve your health, improve the health of those that you're concerned about. Uh, you don't want to miss the next segment. Be coming up right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANL.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times. And it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. 
furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me today is Paul Lehman. Paul Lehman has been an educator for many years. He's currently still an associate professor emeritus on the campus of Berman University in Alberta, Canada. He's been sharing with us his work, his advocacy work with Collegiate Advocates. It's a group called Collegiate Advocates for Better Living. Paul, it's uh, really been great to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Paul, as we stepped away from the last segment, we were talking about some practical things that students can do and actually people of any age can do for their health. We've been speaking some about vitamin D, but there's a whole range of things with your background in health education and your work with students on campuses throughout North America. I know you've been emphasizing. Try to help us, you know, kind of challenge us today. Don't just challenge the uh, the college students, challenge all of my listeners about some things we should be prioritizing as far as their health. Well, something that I taught for years, uh, developed the programs also in international development because we've done a lot of programs overseas uh, and taking students overseas to teach courses and study, uh, actually learning to do things and working with study groups overseas. Service learning is a class we developed as well. And one of the things we did in that because I like to teach experientially where where students will actually do something and then they will reflect on that and they will enlarge that comfort zone. So one of the things I did in that course was I said, I'm giving you each $8. I want you to go out and buy food at a grocery store, but none of the food can be processed food. Absolutely none of it. It all has to be whole food of some sort or another, and you have to spend at least out of the $8, you have to spend somewhere between 7 and 8 You have to bring me the receipt. You have to bring it all back. And then you're going to cook that meal with that food that you have, and we're going to share that within the class. 
Well, it's amazing that the students came back and said, uh, man, I actually had a little bit of a hard time spending that $8 uh, on some of it, or, you know, I had to find this and now I cooked this up and, and then they cooked it up and they said, well, I have way too much food here. I said, well, that's interesting. Now, if you had bought junk food, how many bags of chips would you have bought with that? And so everybody had to rate each other's meals and test that food and share it with the professors and so on. And they were just amazed at how cheap they could make a meal and how good they could make a meal with fresh fruits, vegetables, rice, potatoes, bananas. And it is amazing stuff that they came up with. Took a little longer to process it to get it ready, but they had so much food. And I said, my point here is that in the international communities, that is how they do this many times. But I said, we need to come back to that here to get the simple food and nutrition that we have available to us. And it has helped these students because they complain now about if the cafeteria has too much fat in it, if it has too much cheese in it, if it has too much sugar, a lot of stuff is too sweet, what's wrong? Why do they always have the chips on the way out, you know? So they can advocate to improve the cafeterias on the campuses. This is such a great message, and I know it resonates with people across Indian country, because if you look at indigenous peoples historically, they didn't have the fast food factories and soft drink manufacturers, et cetera, et cetera. It's fascinating. I mean, even to many First Nations peoples that I've met with, you know, you talk with them about it. You know, here's how your ancestors ate. I mean, here's actually records from your tribe. I remember visiting with one woman from the Southwest, a Native woman. And we were talking about just what had been documented about what her people ate. And she was just surprised that this is what her indigenous diet was because she had grown up in a more urban setting. And so it's great to have you connecting students of all backgrounds with just how healthy, how simple, how loaded with, we would say, good things from the creator those natural foods are. So powerful, powerful message. I appreciate that. Uh, would you say this would be a good exercise that all of us could do? Uh, see if, how much we could do with $8 for our, our family or for ourselves and uh, just getting those whole plant foods? I think so. I think it would make a difference if they would just compare, for instance, uh, buy the corn chips, buy the corn on the cob, buy the frozen corn and see what the cost is for the amount of nutrition that you have. Or potatoes are a great one because they're relatively cheap. They're easy to prepare in so many different ways. They're relatively quick. Those are examples of things that most people will eat and uh, are relatively cheap to process yourself at home. No, that's great. So uh, I definitely am totally on that page with you. And I could think of many examples of patients that I've seen over the years that as they get away from those processed foods and especially those processed beverages, uh, they start reaping dramatic health benefits. So that is clearly right on point. Just a funny aside, um, you probably had this too. You talk with people about eating healthier and they say, oh, I went to, you know, some food chain or something and I saw those healthy options and they were like five times what it costs to, you know, just buy, you know, the ground beef. You're really not telling them to go buy processed, quote, health foods. Exactly, right? No, no, no. I'm telling them to buy good whole foods. You know, students are in a hurry, but vegetable plates are expensive. But you can buy the carrot, you can buy all these things separately and just take these things and eat them as your snack. Uh, I, the, the processed drinks are another thing. The, and, and certainly this steps on some toes because I did this as a project in class one time too. I said, I want you guys to challenge yourself. I said, do not eat cheese for a week and see what happens to you. 
and I said, you know, the, the, there's aflatoxins, there's things that can do this. And one of the students says, oh, this is, this is Bohunk. I, well, he got so sick one night. He's, he was laughing at me and said, I knew it wasn't the cheese. And, he, and then he came back to me the next day. He said, man, he says, I quit the cheese. He says, I felt so much better. I said, well, it's also the amount of fat, the amount of salt that's in some of these cheeses and some of these processed food. I said, if it, it isn't only not picking on cheese, I'm picking on everything that is not really healthy in your diet to try to make you as alert as possible as a student. Because, you know, you sleep better, you eat better, you exercise better, all these things. I know that wasn't your point just to put the uh, uh, the cheese in the crosshairs, so to speak. but. Right. Right. I will say it's an interesting example because, and I'm, I'm happy for my native listeners to touch base with me. Uh, of course, I don't have an intimate connection with every tribe, every tribal tradition, but I've had the privilege of being on many reservations, working with many First Nation peoples from many different backgrounds. And uh, to my knowledge, not a one of them historically valued cheese you know that that was not something that was part of the indigenous diets of any of the first nation peoples that that i've worked with none of them have told me well this was our traditional food before europeans came here and i think your point is very interesting because two of the diseases that we're seeing ravage the whole world right now you know one is diabetes the other is high blood pressure and if you look at cheese tends to be high in saturated fat which we now know is one of the things that's driving the diabetes epidemic. And it's also, they also, the cheeses tend to be high in sodium, which is one of the things that's feeding the high blood pressure epidemic. So yeah, just that single food. And, and, and this is not, it was not an easy message for me, Paul. I, you and I had talked off air, but I was not a particularly health conscious uh, person when I went away to college. And I feel it was the creator that got my attention there got me focusing on living healthier. I actually have pretty heavy Italian roots. Three of my grandparents were born in Italy. So there was always cheese in our house, always. There was never a day when there was no cheese in an Italian house. And uh, and I came to the point where I decided I needed to leave this stuff off and had a similar experience where it, it definitely is one of the things that I felt contributed to my being healthier. So uh, again, we're not making a message here that everyone tuning in today has got to throw out all their cheese, but this is not a food that you want to be stocking up on. And I know, Paul, you're a balanced fellow because you even give uh, students pizzas. So you're not saying that no one could ever put cheese in their mouth, right? Right. Well, although some people wouldn't be hurt by never putting cheese in their mouth again. We just want to say that full fairness and full disclosure. So, Paul, let's transition a little bit. The clock is running pretty rapidly in this segment, but how about something else that you have seen as just critical to optimize the health of students and people in general? It's interesting that because I did teach the outdoor area, I, I tried to get them outside into the fresh air. We spent some pretty cold nights outside, but always students um, with this, it was the fresh air, the relationships that we built on many of these off-campus trips that were very strong. And if you have a relationship with people that you can talk to, you can call and you say, hey, listen, I'm down today or whatever. And I'll share a story that happened at Holbrook, actually, with the person that ran through our challenge course there. It was a Native American. I just love this guy. He was a runner, but he had spent his share of time in, I think, incarceration of some sort. And he came to me afterwards and he said, 
I really want to thank you, he said, because you set this challenge course up for us. And he said, I would not let this thing beat me. And he says, I just bought myself through all of this stuff and all the fun stuff we had in the relationships we had. I bought myself 45 days out of jail. He said, I was in jail every week otherwise. He said, it's a difference because of the relationships that we built here. And to me, that is critical that as students, they have to have an emotional, tangible rope to hang on to. Sometimes that could be a professor. It could be another student. It could be just doing something in the outdoors because it's so close to nature. It's so close to God. It just brings people closer together and it makes a difference in their lives. Tremendous. We're listening to Paul Lehman. Paul is uh, Associate Professor Emeritus at Berman University in Alberta, Canada. Paul's going to be back with more in our next segment. And when we come back, we'll tell you how you can get a hold of Paul, how you can connect, how you can uh, really take advantage of some of the things he's helping to facilitate on college campuses throughout North America. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be right back right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's samhsa.gov support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Paul Lehman. Paul is an associate professor emeritus at Berman University. He's been sharing insights into practical health education. Paul, I know a lot of folks have been enjoying this interview, and I know that because you've been just sharing a wealth of information, a wealth of practical experiences. If someone is interested in connecting with you, and maybe they've got a college student in their family, maybe a child, maybe a grandchild, and they're excited about this collegiate advocates for better living, how do they get a hold of you? Yes, they can email me. I still have my Berman University email address. It's P Lehman, P L E H M A N N, at Berman U B U R M A N U dot C A. And uh, I will respond to them and then give them further information as they request it. Very good. So if I can remember how to spell Lehman, L E H M A N N, just P for Paul, P Lehman at Berman, and Berman is B-U-R-M-A-N, correct? Yes, and then a U after that for the university. And then dot C-A. Dot C-A. Okay, we've got it. So, Paul, I know one of the things that we often talk about when we speak about comprehensive health, at least in Indian country, much more holistic than often, uh, quote, the Western mindset that may want to speak about, oh, yes, the physical fitness and diet and maybe just leave it at that. There's this whole other dimension that ties in social elements, spiritual elements. You and others I've heard talk about it in terms of a single word, and that word is trust. Why is that word so important for you? Well, the word is so important for us, uh, not only as we talk about leadership, but I'll focus mainly on the fact of, of how you build that trust within a community that you might be moving into to try to help or to even be within your own community. And so we've had to go into communities where we have done international development things. And one of the things that we've stated is that you never stomp through any culture. You always glide through the culture. Just watch and observe and know who to connect with. And so one of the ways that we have done to build trust in a community is we would, first of all, when we would do the introductions of the people, we would say, okay, I want you to get in groups of five or six, and I want you to draw a picture of the house that you grew up in, just the floor plan of that picture. And then I, and then you can draw around what that yard may have looked like and share a story that happened to you, a funny story in that house, and maybe a dramatic story of something. And you find out a lot about the people in the group. And all of a sudden, they start to realize that maybe you're no different than anybody else within the group. Or as we worked in, for instance, we worked in a very, very rough area of Toronto. When we went in there to set up a challenge course, and we were doing street ministries, uh, we asked uh, if we could go ahead and use some of the trees in there to do a low challenge course, set up some cables and ropes, and that always attracts children. And I love working with children and young people. And we had in that community, uh, uh, you've probably heard of the Bloods and the Crips, and they were in that community. And the, the police was sitting at the entrance to this area, 
And when my oldest son and I walked in there, he said, so you will not be in here after sundown. And we kind of looked at him. He says, you will not be in here after sundown. He said, because we will not come in to help you once it gets dark. And we were kind of shaking when we left the place. And the next day we went in and set up our challenge course and the community members came out. What are you doing? Well, we're setting this up for children. Well, why would you do this? Because we want to help this community. We want you to have fun with the children. Let's do some stuff with the children, with the people, with the teens in this group. And so we set this up when we ran this. I did training for a variety of people from around the world, Denmark, uh, Mexico, there were leaders there that I was trying to to train in this area. And the children came out. We had them go on these challenge courses, these cables and ropes and different activities and stuff like this. And uh, the second day we went in and a lady came out with this incredibly huge tray of food. Hmm. And the group that I was training said, uh, we can't take food from these people. These are all government housing, like we, we they don't even have enough to feed themselves i said it is only right that you actually take some food from them because they will be uh, otherwise they will be unhappy and think why you don't even trust them so we took that food we ate and then we kept coming back we did some basketball clinics in the area and the police kind of showed up later and they said so you're not being in here after sundown we just kind of looked at them and said well uh well, not not too much. <laughs> we could go in there any time of day that we wanted to because we had built trust with that community. We had built trust with them. And as you work, we have to relate this. I think that we all have a trust in a higher power. And that higher power in whatever your culture is, is probably a, a spirit, a God. And my trust is in God. And so if I can trust people and teach them to trust each other, trust each other with whatever they have necessary for them to function well in society, to function well in life is critical because I might need you to save my life one day Mm. and I trust you. And I think that's critical. I think there's such a powerful message. It seems like in today's world, people seem to be, cultivating distrust and looking at other people as the enemy, looking at people that don't maybe think the way you do or look the way you do or have the same cultural background. Even though we speak a a lot about harmony, there is a, a lot of undercurrents that we're fighting against. And really what I hear you saying, Paul, is if you go in with a focus of being of service and you show yourself to be trustworthy and you trust other people, that has this, uh, what we sometimes call this feed-forward effect. It seems to multiply in a positive way. Am I hearing that correctly? It really does. And that positivity goes through without the group. If we go in and say, you can't do this, it won't happen. And we actually had both Bloods and Crips on our challenge course at the same time competing against each other in a positive way in Toronto. That's pretty amazing to think of two different gangs quote, fighting it out in a challenge course. I mean, that's not usually what we hear about gang warfare, right? Not really, no. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for raising the bar. Now, I have a special question because I'm in a community. We have, uh, actually, I, I'm part of a faith community where a number of our members 
actually are young adults. They are college students attending in our community. And I don't know that many of them have heard of collegiate advocates for better living. If someone is hearing about this for the first time and they say, well, this sounds kind of intriguing. Uh, will this Paul Lehman guy or someone from the organization actually maybe come and help us? Or can I get on the phone and call them? I mean, is that the kind of work that you're doing right now as an emeritus uh, associate professor there? Are you making your time available, especially for this group? Yes, actually, that that's very true. This weekend, I'm actually teaching a survival, outdoor living survival course that'll be going the next two weekends. Uh, my wife does hydrotherapy sessions. Uh, so we've traveled to many places and done this in many different communities, countries. Uh, so we do travel to places to help them set that up to know how to negotiate, how to connect with the communities and to help them make this very experiential because that really is what people remember. So what would it take? Some of these students that I know, college students, if they said, well, this sounds kind of intriguing, uh, We'd like to get more information. Should they contact you first? I mean, what is the the process? What does that look like, Paul? The process is to contact us first and just see what time frame they're looking at and and how long they would maybe need or want to make that happen. I mean, that's how we have gone up to Yellowknife or to uh, some of these other places in Toronto and St. Louis, uh, it is. They just contacted and said, "Okay." Or maybe it was through an organization that said, "We would like to have you come and uh, just train us a little bit on on how to do this. How to most of our activities are very experiential based. So we bring the stuff along in a bag, and we're going to actually physically have you do something in the area." of leadership that will be trust or it'll be experiential learning so that you can take this now to your next session and say, Hey, come on, let's have an activity together with our group here. And uh, it could be the church, a school, a community group, whatever it is that works. So a lot of times when I talk with uh, college students, I mean, one of the typical things and thinking back in my own academic career, which you know, as a physician and having a master's in public health like yourself, Paul, I know you've got an MPH as well. We end up spending a fair amount of time in educational setting. And I know a lot of times there's just these time pressures where students feel, well, how could I do anything in addition? What would you say to a student who says, well, this sounds intriguing, but I'm already pressed. I mean, too many classes, too many other activities, maybe they're working a job. Is this clearly something that takes a huge time commitment and don't even start going down this path unless you've got a lot of time? The interesting thing is that the students that, that have many times told us that I can't handle this from a time perspective, when they actually change a few of their health principles, uh, they actually have more time. And because they get out into the community setting or into a, even a the student community setting because they're helping others. They start to build these relationships and those students help them and they get a cohort together and things go a lot smoother for them. And they actually, uh, I, I guess I would say from a psychological standpoint, it just ramps it up and they are much more positive and they feel much more prepared when they actually finish university. 
and much more prepared to even write those tests that are coming up because they've, they've done some other activities that serve humankind. Yeah, it's really amazing what happens. You know, it's so easy in an academic setting to get so focused that you lose balance, that, you know, you can burn out. I remember, Paul, when I was a medical student, I was just impressed that I needed to be doing something else besides just studying and doing clinical medical stuff. And I ended up getting a job for one of the professors as a gardener. And at first, after a short while, I said, well, this is just ridiculous. I don't have time to do this. And I was about to quit. I was about to go in and tell the professor that, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I came in. They said, you know, we've been talking about it. Um, You're doing such a good job here. We want to give you a raise. And I said, well, maybe I'm supposed to stay here a bit longer. I think I was praying about it, too, at the time. But I ended up doing that for for four years throughout medical school. And I just felt it was really, it helped me kind of be more balanced. I didn't feel like I was getting burned out. So I appreciate you sharing this. We're going to talk a little bit more with Paul Lehman. We have to step away just briefly. Again, if you didn't get his contact information at the top of the hour, it is simply P for Paul, then Lehman, L-E-H-M-A-N-N, at Berman, B-U-R-M-A-N-U, for university.ca. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back with a final segment with Paul Lehman right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. 
Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are speaking today about really life-changing health principles. We're seeing it especially through the eyes of a lifelong educator and the person of Paul Lehman. He's been speaking about his work on college campuses throughout North America and beyond, urban settings, rural settings, outdoor education, education in busy, crowded, gang-controlled urban areas. It seems, Paul, like the same messages resonate no matter where people are. Really, that is true. It is very true that uh, you look at different cultures and you look at different people. And you know what? They're all the same. They're all God's children. So you've been uh, working with especially college-age individuals for many years. One of the things I think that uh, that I often hear, one of the challenges, is that young adults are not taken seriously. They're not given leadership responsibilities. Of course, in your organizations, these are, at least what I'm hearing, these are pretty much student-led chapters on colleges and universities throughout North America. Am I understanding how cable is set up? That is correct. It is led by them. And then there is a mentor or sponsor that is a faculty or staff on the campus. So let's talk about this dimension of training the next generation of leaders. I know in Indian country, youth, uh, highly regarded, and, and really this sense of community leadership, tribal leadership is something that's often very deliberately cultivated, especially in close-knit Native communities that I'm aware of. What about in the kind of the secular college campus setting? Is there an opportunity there to cultivate the next generation of leaders, if you will? Leadership goes along very much with followership. If you cannot follow, maybe uh, you think, well, I'm only a leader, and that's not likely the case. Uh, All you have to do is look at world leaders. Some of them at some point were a follower. But the point is that if you give students the opportunity and give them the guidelines, and we say, well, they don't want any guidelines, that's not true. I have watched students through the years. They want the guidelines. They want the mentorship. They maybe don't want to be told exactly this is how you do it like the old guys do it. But elders, they they look at the elders, they look at those individuals and say, how should we perhaps do this to make it work? And we've had so many students that have we've said, you're going to lecture on this part of health, or you're going to lecture on this. And they say, oh, I, I can't get up in front of people. I said, we're going to guide you through this. We're going to hold up the little time card. We're going to show you how to process this, how to do this. And at the end of this, I cannot, I cannot even begin to tell you the amount of students that have come back to us and said, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity because I would have never done that in my life. But I am willing, if you go to another community, if you go to another church, if you go to another seminar, if you go to another conference, please have me be part of that because I would like to just be part of what you're doing. 
and help with the leadership. So training that leadership becomes critical. Now, this is really exciting. And it's interesting how oftentimes we get drawn into lines that we may not have gone into. Did we not uh, put ourselves in a position where we could be prevailed upon, if you will, to do something? I know that's true for me, Paul, even though I've given probably hundreds or, I mean, I'm not counted, you know, maybe thousands of health lectures, seminars, radio shows over the years. My involvement in public health education started in a small faith community where uh, people asked me as a young physician, never having given a, a health lecture in public, they said, you know, we want you to give some health lectures for our community. And I'll be honest with you, for some reason I agreed to do it, but after agreeing, I said this was a big mistake. And when I tried to uh, graciously get out of it, they let me know that it had already been advertised throughout the whole community. So So the the Creator has interesting ways of getting us uh, outside of our comfort zone, doesn't He? Truly, truly. I'll just share something that happened in northern Vietnam, which is a very communistic area. We, we did a challenge group there of uh, over 100 students and teachers. And there was a group of us that went and they took students along so that I could help them and they could help me because I depend on students a lot. And it is a peer counseling group to help them work with kids who are on drugs. So we went through this, and the first while, they, they, they kind of looked at us, and we gave them the challenge of the activity and said, I want you to do this. And they looked at us and said, uh, well, tell us what to do. I said, no, that, that isn't how my training works. I want to see you perform and do this. And so they did it, and they looked at me and said, uh, you don't understand. We're from a communist community, so they, we've been told what to do the whole time. Well, we had a whole week with them. And at the end of this in the debriefing, which we often have after our leadership program, there were several individuals, students that were extremely shy. They would not talk to us, even through the interpreter. And they came to us and they said to the whole group, they said, this has changed my life because I have built my confidence. I would never be up here talking if I had not had something of this leadership training. And now I'm not afraid to get up in front of people and actually help them. And leadership is helping and directing people. It is not always telling them what to do. And to me, there's always two kinds of people that walk into a room. One that says, oh, I'm sure glad you're here. And others like, oh, man, he's here. Uh, So you want to be the leader that walks into the room and says, all right, he's here. Everything's going to be okay. I appreciated one of your insights. I don't know that I've heard this before. Maybe I have. It just hasn't registered. But you mentioned that in order to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower first. I'd like you to kind of break that down a little bit because I think a lot of people think, well, those are two different callings or two different talents, if you will. Some people are good followers. Others are good leaders. But I think you're touching on something profound that I appreciate you just uh, amplifying a bit. Well, many times as a follower, you are learning something from probably a mentor or someone who maybe has helped you. And and if we look at this from a Native community and working somewhat with the Native communities, if I went into that community, I would always try to find the leader of that Native community because they could tell me what I should and should not do. And they were willing to do that. If if they said no, I would say no. And And this isn't only in North America. I would ask this in many other countries. I said, who is leader of your community? Because I'm going to follow you first 
and I'm going to be trained by you to understand what I should be doing. They're saying, well, you're the expert. No, I said, I am not the expert in your community. I am only here to train certain steps of this program. So I need to follow you and your footsteps and you guide me through this. And hopefully we all have a creator that we follow that will actually guide us through our life on a day-to-day basis. I love this picture, and it reminds me of a talk I sometimes have with my patients. It's quite unnerving to them when I do this sometimes, but I say, you know, you are the expert, and I'm just the consultant. And they go like, what? I mean, why am I seeing you? I said, no, you're you're the expert about your life and what's happening in your life. And what, you know, you know certain things happen when you make certain health decisions. I'm the consultant. I mean, I can tell you what the textbooks say, you know, supposed to happen if you do this or what happens to the majority of people when they do this. But you actually have, you know, personal life experience. And I'm here to work together with you to give you some guidance, but, but you're the expert when it comes to your own lifestyle. And I hear that same dynamic in this leadership training. Is that ringing true with you as well? It is very true. In fact, I would tell when we'd work in some of these in places, I would say, I want you to run everything through me before you talk to my students. I said, don't pick a student and do it because I said, they are following me and I am following you. So I want to just make sure that we have the right line of what's happening here and that we don't get confused because literally we all love options. But we don't love options if there's chaos. Hmm. So we love options when we have a good person to follow and somebody can follow us. But if if there's chaos in in the camp, uh, it takes a long time to organize that and to build that trust and leadership back. Well, powerful stuff, Paul. And I've just felt like you're really somebody that if there's a a college student or a group of college students who just say, we want to be mentored, we'd love to see a stronger health emphasis here on our campus. Uh, We'd like to get involved helping our fellow students. You're definitely a person that I've developed a comfort level in, in just talking with you over the course of this interview. Again, if someone wants to reach out to you, they say, I'd love to connect with Paul and see if he could be a help in our setting, how would they do that? Yeah, they, the best way is to contact me through email, and I do answer them. It's P. Lehman, P-L-E-H-M-A-N-N, at Bermanu, B-U-R-M-A-N-U dot C-A. So P. Lehman at Bermanu dot C-A. Thank you so much, Paul. Our time has just about slipped away from us. Uh, you've been a great guest. Appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you. It was a joy to be here, and uh, I got a lot of insights, too. So thank you, Dr. DeRose. Well, and to each one of you who've been listening today, thank you for joining us on today's edition of the broadcast. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.